0: All glory to God. You may be seated. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. It's awesome that you guys are here on Thanksgiving weekend. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving. If you didn't, let us know. We'll pray for you at the altars, okay? So if you need some special family deliverance prayers, You know, you need some special uh, just prayers, just let us know. Because sometimes not everybody has a good Thanksgiving. My accident happened Wednesday night. So I had a good Thanksgiving, believe it or not, because I got to hang out with the guests that came over, got my mind off everything. We went into the studio, what I like to call the lab, and made a song with Sydney. It's on my personal page or the church page. You guys can check it out. And so some of the people were like, oh, you guys, uh, you're going to be able to binge watch a lot of stuff. I'm like, no, man, I'm going to write some books. I'm going to make some music. I'm gonna have a good time serving the Lord in that way. Of course, I may binge watch every now and then, but uh, keep keep up to what we're doing on the YouTube page because we're dropping a lot of songs out there as well as Des on her page as well. Turn with me to Matthew 16, 15. Today I wanna to give you what I believe is the last message of the sermon series, the church. We've been going through it now for quite a few weeks. Today's the 13th week. And I sense in my heart that I have come to the end of what you know the Lord gave me to share with you all. And um, if that were to change, I'll <laughs> preach on the church next week. But as of right now, this will be the last one. A- at uh, second service, I preached the last one on Hebrews. That was 15 months we were in the book of Hebrews. So just a reminder, I do have two different sermons that I preach each week, um, and the first and second service. So if you're ever studying the book of Hebrews, make sure you go back and check out those messages. But today, by God's grace, I want to talk about the church being a place of wisdom and a pillar for society. Everybody say wisdom Wisdom. and a pillar. Amen. Thank you. Now I want to start off where we've been the entire time. So this was our passage, and every week we read it. We may not have read it in its entirety, but it's the place in in Matthew where Jesus is asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? They give him the wrong answers, and then he says, who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are." Are who? What is his name now? Peter. Peter, thank you. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is the authority of the church. It's placed in Peter's hands. The Roman Catholics have thought, like, oh, well, this just means Peter's the first pope, and the keys are going to be passed down from pope to pope. And to the pope, we say, Nope. So go to chapter 18. We know that that's not true because the keys then are given to all the disciples. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, truly I tell you, not just Peter, not the name change, not the one that you know they got the name change, but to everybody here, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I tell you, and this is how I know it's the general you to the disciples there because it's again, everybody say again, again I tell you. So it's the same you that he's been talking to in the prior verses. Everybody get that? Amen. Amen translating or uh, interpreting the scripture correctly, again, truly I tell you the same ones that he's been talking to, you. that if any two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for it, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Does everybody see that? So there is the you being applied to those who gather together in Jesus' name. Now going back to our notes, when we look at this, we should take this serious and we should see our place in this and that's why for the last you know uh, 12 weeks I've been going through this going oftentimes when people think about church they're thinking about Taco Bell instead of the taqueria they're not focusing on what is the authentic they're looking at what is the commercial they're looking at what like uh, would be the surface level understanding of something instead of going deep and getting the real culture and the real auth Authentic church. Everybody say authentic. Amen. And, and, and I don't say this against anybody who likes Taco Bell because my wife even teased me. She's like, you'd like Taco Bell. Yes, because I'm a white boy from the suburbs. I grew up eating Taco Bell. As a matter of fact, as I've said before, when I had a soft shell taco with the uh, the corn tortilla, I didn't think that was a real taco. I thought the real tacos were with that U-shaped kind of crunchy tortilla chip. That's what I thought a real taco was. So when my friend from Mexico took me to a taqueria and showed me a real taco I'm like this is so strange and then it only had you know cilantro and onion it didn't have lettuce and tomato and sour cream because in ta- uh, you know in Fort Wayne Indiana taco uh, Fort Wayne Indiana taco Tuesdays you have your toppings you know lettuce tomato sour cream that's how we ate it now that's so I'm not trying to say that's not good okay that's good that's flavorful that's amazing but that's not authentic everybody say authentic Thank you. Authentic. Authenticity. Original. That's what we're looking for. And then the moment you go there, now everybody's got an opinion. You go to the Roman Catholics and they go, oh, this is the first church. Look at us. We can date our popes all the way back to the first pope. The Orthodox. They say, look at us. The Assyrian church, the Coptic church, the Ethiopian church. Because if you remember the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts is one of the first people to get saved. So when we say the that the, uh, the, in the scriptures, that the church reached Africa before it reached Rome. Yes, the Book of Romans is going to be written, and all of that. But there wasn't a lot of Christians there. But there was already in Ethiopia a lot of Jews that were there from the time of Solomon. And so when that eunuch went over there, revival began to break out. And so Africa in that northern part got one to the Lord as well as Egypt much sooner than the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, it was in the Roman Empire that we began to suffer. So those who say something like this is a white man's religion, it's not. It became popular among white people and how many are glad that it did and it should become popular among all people. I'm not talking about the abuses of it. I'm just saying I'm glad Rome went to their knees and accepted Jesus Christ. I'm glad my people, the Italians, didn't go to hell by following Zeus, okay? But you have to understand, it reached Africa first. It reached the northern parts of Africa. It reached India. It was more well-received there in those places. But here's the reason why I think it grew so much in Europe so quickly. Because Europe was running the world. Europe had the world empires, okay? So that's why when Rome got saved, a lot of people knew about Christianity from that point. It's like, if, you know, if, if Ethiopia is saved, you're not going to hear about it that much. If India is getting saved, you're not going to hear about it that much. If the Roman emperor gets saved, you're going to start hearing about Christianity. And then at that point, that's where now people start to mix truth, with, you know, fact with fiction. And you hear about the, you know, the Da Vinci Code and Constantine because he is the Roman emperor that gets saved, and then now there's this talk about what happened at the Council of Nicaea, and everybody puts their conspiracies into this time of history to make what they're trying to say come true. So if you're a Roman Catholic, you're going to put your conspiracies, which is actually a conspiracy to say that because God saved the Roman emperor, that showed that he wanted Rome to be the seat of power. That's why if you think about it, their name isn't the Jerusalem church. It 's the Roman Catholic Church because they take a lot of pride in Rome, right so they start building all their conspiracies in there, and then the cults start building all their conspiracies in there that basically say at the Council of Nicaea in the three hundreds, by the way, this is the time frame here. in the three hundreds is where the, the Roman Catholic Church changed everything. you know so if you talk to the black Hebrew Israelites and they talk about keeping the Old Testament law and being at church on the Sabbath, you know all of that changed all of a sudden by Rome and their paganism. What you see when the cults say that, that's absolutely fairy tale. That's that's fairy that's make believe. That's not true at all. People who were at the Council of Nicaea, many of them had already bore the marks of Roman persecution. Right before Constantine got saved in the persecution of Diocletian and other emperors, this was when it was the worst for Christians. So it was not something that Christians were going to come to and be like, hey, I'm just gonna stop serving Jesus and follow this guy with the pointy hat and do whatever he asked me to do. As a matter of fact, the Roman bishop was not even at the Council of Nicaea. So this this is where you almost like you see the cult playing into the conspiracy of the Roman Catholic uh, cult, and you see them borrowing from each other. It's like they'll say, yes, the Roman Catholic Church had all this power, and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, we did, yeah, we did. And then they'll say, yeah, and you guys changed things, and they'll say, well, we kind of did, we kind of did. But you see, both of them are actually wrong. Both of them are wrong. The Roman Catholic Church did not have power at that time and they really didn't change anything at that time. What had happened was they solidified what the church had already been doing and the church takes the credit for it, not that group that we would now call the Roman Catholic Church. Can I hear an amen? I just want you to understand. They were already worshiping on Sunday. They already had their scriptures. They already knew that the law was fulfilled. That's why when we go into church history, we teach the Jehovah witnesses. We teach the Mormons we teach the Sabbatarian or the black Hebrew Israelite. We teach the Roman Catholic. We teach all of them. Whenever I write like I do back there, real saints don't pray to saints, and I teach them what the scripture is saying, I go to the first generation of the disciples, of the disciples, Ignatius. I go to Clement of Rome. I go to the Didache. And all that that corresponds to is what I'm doing here. Not what the Jehovah Witnesses are doing. Not what the Mormons are doing. Not what the Roman Catholics are doing. Can I hear an Amen. So all of them are wrong to attribute to that time all of these things that happened. But what is true is that over time, somebody say over time. Over time, the seat of power moved to Rome, and with the power and the authority and the original disciples of the disciples of the disciples dying, and now you're three, four generations, five generations, six generations down the road, yes, things began to change. but gradually, and as I've shown you here the chart before, of the different changes. As a matter of fact, why don't you go there, disciples of the first disciples uh, dot blogs. Bot.com, or you can just go to the website and go to books. Let's do that. Let's go to the website and then go to the books, Disciples of the First Disciples. I'll just show you this chart again because it's going to play into what I'm teaching here. And that is, you cannot be easily deceived to think, well, it just all happened at once. No, it happened over time. Praying to saints happened over time. The perpetual virginity of Mary happened over time. Uh, The idea of purgatory and some of these things happened over time. And so then when you look at the Reformation happening around the 1500s, when you see that happening, it's not the church changing to something new, it's reforming to what it once was. You see, if I lose weight right now, and I go back to my, my high school days, my college days, I am not changing into something new. It may be new for all of you to see. It may be new for you to see, but it's something that I was originally. I was never this heavy when I was young, when I was in high school, when I was playing sports. So when you lose weight, you're reforming yourself back to a prior state. Does everybody get that? So if you would look at my my extra weight as the extra teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, what you're seeing is that over time, it gets unhealthy. Over time, it adds, adds additions to the scriptures. to It's authority. It, it begins to change the simple gospel to a gospel now of works. And if I'm right, then you should be able to go to a timeline and see it. And that's exactly what you can not see. And by the way, if you look it up right now, the uh, ascension of the Virgin Mary, okay, if you look that up, that wasn't a doctrine that they didn't codify until the 1940s or 50s. So in other words, the the more sillier it gets or the more extreme it gets, is it's further in history and it's further away from the church, and then you see it more closer to modern times so if you go back like 2,000 years you don't see the first Christians believing that Mary ascended to heaven you don't see of course you don't see it taught in scripture you see Elijah goes to heaven you see that uh, Enoch goes to heaven and then Jesus goes there right can I hear an amen to that but you don't see Mary so that was supposed to be our doctrine don't you think you would see that in there You don't even hear Mary mentioned after the Gospels. Maybe in the book of Acts she's there, you know, but other than that, she's not talking. She has no role, and she's there only, uh, you know, in church history as a supportive figure. You don't look at Mary as somebody that everybody was going to for advice. They're certainly not looking to her as an apostle. She's not planting churches of any kind. It's only over time and superstition that people begin to believe that uh, that's that's, uh, important to them. Brothers, are you guys having trouble back there? Just, you go to the books, Disciples of the First Disciples. Then you click on it, and it will take you to Blogspot. Guys, start looking it up on your phones as well. Let's get there quickly because, oh, there it is. Perfect, yeah. And then you just scroll down, look at the table of contents, go to the right there, to the right, and let's pick on uh, how the church became dark, I believe. This is one of the books that I wrote for you guys. Go to chapter 12 for me. Is it that one? Yeah, I heard you guys saying something. Okay, go ahead and scroll down. Let's make sure it is. Keep scrolling, keep scrolling. You're going to see a timeline, I think. Keep going. Yep, yep, here you go. Okay, so here you see the timeline of the major events, okay? Well, number one, you don't even see that the Pope becomes the Pope until around Pope Gregory in the 590s. Does everybody get that? Like, I, I know you're trusting me right now, but I'm just saying, do you get what I'm, what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, you can look up there, you can see that. So if this timeline is right, and you're going to be able to find it, you know, in an encyclopedia, they'll even tell you this is right. But what they're always going to try to say is that, uh, oh, the early church believed it, but we didn't have to solidify to this time. And it's like, no, they didn't. They didn't even act like it. That. That's why I go back to the earlier times. They know nothing about this. Now, go ahead and keep it the same size that you had it before, brother. Yeah, I don't know if anybody can see that. I've had LASIK and I can't see that. Now go ahead and keep scrolling down a little bit. Now we're going to get to the history of all the different teachings that they had. A little bit faster for me, please. Keep going. You're going to get down to the teachings now. Now notice this, wax candles in the church. That's around the 300s. You don't see wax candles in the church. You don't see people lighting candles onto the saints and these different things. You see when they begin to get introduced in history. It's an actual timeline. The veneration of angels and dead saints. They start talking to them, wanting to have communication. That's around 375. 394, the mass, is adopted as a system that has to be kept in a certain way. Now, you have to understand, there's going to start to be divisions among these churches and the Ethiopians and the Coptics, and these are different. They are not in communion with each other. Don't let anybody think, well, it's only Roman Catholic when you go ancient. No, 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 no. There's five competing churches over the ancient who's the oldest. There is the Coptics, there is the Ethiopians, there is the churches of the East, there is the Roman Catholic, and there is the Eastern Orthodox, and they are not in fellowship with each other. They have to settle it themselves. So when a Catholic says to me, well, we're the real church, now you settle that with the other five, uh, the other four ancient ones, and then once you guys settle, then I'll at least entertain what you're saying. But of course, I, I, you know, I, I know they won't even get to that point, unless, by the way, here we go, a little hint to the Antichrist, the Antichrist will unify them. The Antichrist will also unify uh, Islam with Christianity. If you look at right now, I believe it's in Dubai or a place like that, they have built a center for all three religions to worship together. They have a, a synagogue, they have a Catholic church, and then they have a mosque. And I believe it's in Dubai. Somebody Google that, the three churches. It's like a um, the gathering of unity, of world peace or something. But it's in a Muslim land that they have put these three together together and even some, like Mark Driscoll and other uh, biblical scholars, think the Antichrist will even be Muslim. Is it in Dubai? So it's in Dubai. What do they call that center? The Abrahamic family house. There you go. This is a mark of what will happen with the Antichrist. So even though I tease about them being unified, the unification will not come until the Antichrist with the one world government and the one world religion. And here's something interesting to also note, that in all of these branches I just mentioned you have real Christians who are now fighting against their systems. There are Christians fighting against the Pope right now. There are Catholics who don't even think the Pope is Catholic right now. They are a group. And it's funny because it's like, you guys are doing what we did 500 years ago. But right now, they're very upset with their pope. They don't think he's Catholic. They don't think he represents Catholicism. And in Orthodox, there are divisions, especially now with the war with Russia and the Ukraine. That caused a big uh, rift between them because where now the center power of Orthodoxy is actually in Russia, y'all. And the Bible prophesies about Russia, Gog and Magog, siding with the Antichrist. So if you now think of the Orthodox being Russian, what would it take for the antichrist to get russians on their side with the chinese and with the muslims to attack israel which by the way i don't want to give too much of what i might be talking about later but in time get ready because it's all on our news in israel and what's going on so i just you know want to make some time for that and let the lord to speak now going back to this Notice here, these are the time frames. Now, go all the way to the bottom of this. Go all the way to the bottom, and you'll get the time of the Ascension of the Virgin Mary. Uh, excuse me, go up, I mean, to the end of the timeline. Yeah, 1950, the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. Yeah, put that right there into your Google. You know, when did the doctrine of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary become dogma for the Roman Catholic Church? Put it in there. Just confirm that it's, it's the right time. It should be 1950. And you know when they declared that the Pope would be infallible? In 1870. So now we got to make sure this guy's saying everything perfect. So let's make sure we put that as a doctrine because now everybody's questioning them all the time, you know? And they did that in 1870. Do you guys see when it became dogma? Should be right there in the 1950s. And when I talk to Roman Catholics, they try to act like that's not a big deal. But you see, the scriptures that we just read here, the keys of the kingdom, those were given to Peter and the boys. You can't add any doctrine to what those men and and, and those apostles taught. Does it say in, in 1950? Amen. So you check those dates. Don't just take my word for it. Check any resource that I give you. Amen. Now go to the book of Jude quickly now. Let me give you uh, the message. Everybody said that was the introduction. Amen. How many remember hearing those things before? About five of you come regularly. Come on. More of you come regularly in that because you know you've heard that. Okay. Go to Jude chapter 1 quickly. Why does it matter? Because the next few things I'm going to share with you have to be in the scriptures. If they're not in the scriptures, we're just making up stuff like they are. And then the cults do the same thing, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, those who want to keep the Jewish laws. All of this is not Christian. Christianity is in the Christian Bible. It's been taught by our leaders, by what we call our church fathers. It's been with us all of this time. Now, just start in Jude chapter 1, verse 1, only one chapter of Jude. This is the half-brother of Jesus, which church history tells us Mary had other children with Joseph. And this is one of them. I mean, come on, y'all. I mean, the Bible tells us about itself. And notice that it says right here a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. James is the half brother of Jesus, as we learn through the scripture. So if Jude is a brother of James, he's a brother also of Jesus. And so we learn about this not just because I said so, but the church said so. They had to go back and remake these things as they began to honor more virginity in the the monasteries. As monks began to put down sex, they had to go back now over everybody in the Bible and to line it up to them. So Mary, she couldn't have been having sex because sex is unholy. But yet the Bible says in the very beginning, he made them to be fruitful and multiply. How many know sex can be holy? Amen. I didn't look at anybody when I said that. I just got a little embarrassed. But I know it's holy. How many believe it's holy? Amen. I just don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it's holy, Beth. I I don't know if I want to see that shout right now. But I just want to be honest with you. It's in the scriptures. And it's abnormal, like Jesus was not living the normal life when he was single. So so was Paul. And they had that for a reason and a season. So so normality, how God made us, was to have sex and have children. Now look at chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of Jesus, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now look at verse 3. Here it is. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the what? Contend for the what? Come on, everybody say, contend for the faith. Thank you. That was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Does everybody see once for all? Highlight it, please, my brother. I just want everybody to see this. Once for all. Once for all. So if they didn't have it and they didn't teach it, you're doing it wrong now. Just do a side swipe over back to that timeline, please, just so they can see it. Let them see that. If, if they, come on, y'all. If they didn't have this, you shouldn't have this because it says once for all. If, if the disciples were not teaching purgatory, we should not be teaching purgatory. If the disciples were not teaching Mary you know, ascended to heaven, then we shouldn't be teaching that. If the disciples were not teaching us how to pray to the saints, then we should not be teaching. Does everybody get that? This is one of the most powerful scriptures to bring to those ancient churches, to those who say that they have the right to claim they're the first and they're the best, is bring them right to Jude. If you can now go back to that passage, please, and say, this is all I ask you to do, bring me the once and for all teachings that Jude is talking about right here. I want to see it. That's it. I just want to see it right here. I'll even grant them the Apocrypha, which is a different discussion of how churches disagreed over the scriptures. The Catholic has a certain Apocrypha. The Orthodox has a certain Apocrypha. The Coptics have a certain, all five of those churches have different scriptures. And that's where sometimes Muslims say, well, all you guys have different scriptures and all this. But listen, none of those disagree with any major doctrine, and they're only in the Old Testament. They're only in the Old Testament, except I believe maybe the Ethiopian uh, church, I believe, receives the Shepherd of Her which is in the new testament all the rest of it is jewish apocrypha scripture we take the 39 books of the jewish people's canon and the books that they consider to be resourceful but not scripture we look at them the same way in other words the roman catholics didn't make up the apocrypha they go back into jewish history and say we're not going to take this and make it bible when the jews were saying no we just look at this as part of our history Does everybody get that? We have the Bible of the Jews. They took books from the Jews and made it a part of the Bible. Now, having said all of that, I will even grant them that. But then I say, now show me the teachings that you are now practicing. And you won't. You won't see them taught, especially like the way they teach them. They're not there. And so these are inventions and things that came later on. Now, think about it like this in the positive. Now that we're not thinking about what they are and what that group does, let's think about what we do. Are you today keeping the traditions of the Christian church and lifting them up above your culture, above all that's happening in your life? Are you holding on to it? Because if you're not, you're going to receive judgment for that. If you look at the end of Revelation, just go there quickly with me. Revelation at the end of the book doesn't just apply to Revelation. It applies to the entire corpus of Scripture. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life, in the holy city, which are described in this, soul, in, in this, uh, in this scroll. That's chapter 22, verses 18 and onwards. Now, I want you to think about this. He's being specific, I get it, about revelation. But do you think that's all that it applies to is Revelation? Do you think you can add to God's word anytime you want? No. So if there is a punishment for adding to the book of Revelation, what about adding to the book of Matthew? Saying now, now Mary was a virgin. What about now adding to the book of Paul saying that now you can pray to saints where Paul never taught that? The Bible's very strict about how things are added to the scriptures. The scriptures can't be added to by your own personal opinion. You can't go from the scriptures to whatever you want to do and make believe. It's not meant to be used that way. The scriptures are meant to teach us the things of God so we can understand the doctrines of God. Now go quickly to 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 prepares us for the next part of the message, but I just want to make sure you're on the same page with me. Look at chapter 3, verse 16, talking about the power of scripture. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, Correcting and training in what? Righteousness. Thank you. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for how many good works? Every good work. So now they have a choice. All of them. All of these people. If the Mormons, the cult, all of you guys have a choice. Are you going to tell me what you have is scripture or are you going to drop it and say it doesn't have to do with righteousness? Because if you if you going to tell me that it has to do with righteousness, then you better tell me that what you're saying is scripture. And they can't. I mean, let's think about how far they had to go with the Mormons. They had to write a whole other book to, uh, you know, get with what they're on. But they couldn't change this book. Can I hear an amen to that? You had to write another book, another testament. That's what they call it. You ever seen the Book of Mormon? What does it say? Another testament of the gospel of of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But it's not not in, in line with this testament. It's a foul doctrine. It's a foul teaching. You can't show me here. What you're teaching? That's why they had to write another book. And then for everybody else, the Catholics, they can't show it to you here. So now what they try to say is their tradition is equal to Scripture. It's not Scripture, but it's equal to Scripture. No, the devil is a liar. I'm telling you the truth. There is nothing equal to Scripture. Can you think of anything that's equal to God's Word? Yeah. Nothing's equal to God's Word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So look at the next chapter, verse 1. Chapter 4 now, 2 Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in the view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Preach what these men said. Is that what it says? Preach what they say? Preach what your pastor said? Preach what a pope said? No, come on, saints. It says preach the word. That's all I preach. That's all I preach. I'm not preaching it if it's not in the word. Some of you all got jobs where you talk and you give instruction. That's wonderful, but you can't call that preaching. Preaching is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring forth the faith of God, amen. to encourage people to believe in Jesus and to see what God's planned for them. It's bigger than anything else we do as our side thing outside of serving the Lord. Everything else is a side thing to that. Even if you're a billionaire, even if you're Elon Musk and you're preaching today about how you're talking today, I should say, about how to get to, the, to, get to Mars and how to get to space and how to have electric vehicles, you're still not preaching the word. Can I hear any amen to that? Elon Musk needs to preach the word if he wants to see the faith of God come to others' lives and change them. And I believe he can do that. And you can do that no matter what you do. So preach the word, not what man says, not what doctrines men have come up with. And sometimes people put that back on us and they say, well, you guys believe the Trinity. Show me Trinity in the Bible. I don't care about the word Trinity. But I can show you that three are one. Baptize them in the name, singular, that's one. Somebody say one name. It didn't say names, plural. In the name of the what? Father and of the... Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, you, may, you, make, you make sense of that now. I ask Jehovah Witnesses all the time, what's the name of the Father? Oh, Jehovah. Okay, so then that name applies to Jesus then. Jesus is also Jehovah. Jehovah. Oh, no, no, it doesn't. Well, it just said baptizing the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What's the spirit of? The spirit of Bob? No, it's the spirit of Yahweh. So the, you know the Spirit got his name. You know the Father got his name. Y'all just struggling with this one right here in the middle of the Son. The Son's got his name. He's Yahweh as well. And that's why I show them two persons using the name Yahweh in the Bible. Just real quick so you can see Genesis 19, 11. The Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord in heaven. Yahweh raining down fire from heaven from the Yahweh in heaven. It's not that there's two Yahwehs. It's just that there's two persons who can have that same name. Let's go to verse 17 a little bit. Let's see, I'm guessing right here, where am I at? Oh, it's not 11, let's go up, must be 14, somewhere right up in here. And the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord. It's not 11, keep going up a little bit, maybe earlier than that, struck with blindness. No, no, it's gonna be further down now. Maybe 21, let's keep going. There it is, 24. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from what? From the what? The Lord out of heaven. Just go through it again, brothers and sisters. Then the what? The Lord rained down fire and brimstone or burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from where? The Lord out of the heavens. So there you go. And I can show you that all throughout the scripture. So now, going back to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, please. Notice, preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, notice this, verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with what? Come on, say it again. Sound what? Sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. Well, you don't got to have a prayer life. Just ask Mary to pray for you. Doesn't that sound like what somebody's itching ear would want to hear? You don't have to really pray just light that candle. As long as that flame flickers, your prayers are going up. Isn't that easy now? Oh, you don't have to worry about heaven or hell because they're still pur- purgatory. Just give some money and we'll get them out. When the, when, when the, when the copper... Coin uh, clings in the cup, a uh, soul springs from purgatory. Is how they used to rhyme and say. It. So when it clings, then they spring. That's how they used to sell that in the Middle Ages. That's how they got so rich. Because they were telling all these people, like, hey, you know Bob didn't live for Jesus. You know your friend didn't live for Jesus. You know that you know, they're suffering right now. Well, you want to get your husband out? You want to get your mom out? You want to get your dad out? You know how they used to behave. We'll start putting money here. Put it in the, the coffer. Let me hear the clinging so they can start springing out. And that's how they built so many of the things that they did. That, that was one of the number one things of the Reformation was to get away from that. But now uh, we have our own false doctrines in the 21st century which is I listen to K-Love, I go to church on Sunday, and I can live however I want because Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I got my ticket to heaven. And that's not scriptural. The Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're saved by grace through faith, yes, not of works, but we're saved to be a workmanship of God created to do good works in Christ Jesus that were prepared before us to do amen if you're not doing good works your faith is pointless and worthless the bible says it's no different than a demon saying i believe in god yeah demons believe in god and they even shudder and that makes them smarter than some foolish sinners demons hear the name of god and they shudder and yet you got foolish sinners just you know going on the streets blaspheming and having no fear of god those demons have already met him and felt the taste of his boot coming on their neck they know what time it is amen you need to see a sinner wisen up a little bit, teach him about the fear of God, and sometimes they say, "Oh, I want to go to hell, they'll sing about it on the highway to hell they'll sing about they going you don't know what it's like, you don't know because the Bible says the moment you get there, you will not be singing anymore." If you want to taste and feel a little bit about it, it's not that stuff that you and your girlfriend do. has a little bit of pain, a little bit of pleasure. No, no. This is not a sadistic pleasure here. No, put yourself into a fire for a little bit and see how it feels because there will be no pleasure. Are you listening to me? Sometimes people are like, I like the pain. No, you just sick and twisted in, in another way. But hell is not going to be like that. Amen? It's not like you're going to like the pain. You're going to hate every minute of it. And the Bible says that in the last days there will be false doctrines, and we know we've been building up to that. And that's why now we see people turning from the scriptures, uh, teaching homosexuality in the church. The Church of England now ordaining homosexuals. You know that's false doctrine. And we know that the cover-ups of these major churches and the molestations and the things that they've done and the atrocities and the and the different governments that these churches have sided with, whether it was Nazi Germany or others, many in, in Rome, and even now you see in Russia with the Orthodox, you know, uh, there's a there's a group of true Orthodox in the, in the Russians in a camp that you can't say they're not Christian. I mean, in the sense of they claim Christ. I'm not saying they're real Christians. I'm saying you can't say they're not claiming it. And yet they are ready to conquer the world in the name of Russia. They are white nationalists, orthodox. I'm telling you the truth, my friends. And they believe that Russia is supposed to rule the world. And I'm telling you, that's how we got into all that trouble of slavery. That's how we got into all that trouble of the conquerors. They did it all in the name of Jesus, and they busted hell wide open if they didn't repent. Can I hear an amen to that? That's a false doctrine. You want to explore, that's wonderful. You want to meet new people, you want to buy and sell. And by the way, I've been studying. It's been blessing me so much because so often we only hear about the conquistadors. We only hear about the these and those. But you know, I began studying a little bit more about the Protestant Reformation and how many good ones actually came over here. There were many good Protestants of the Anabaptist tradition that they themselves were persecuted by the Puritans. And they came over here, freed slaves. They came over here, gave women opportunity and they bartered and traded with the Native Americans. And one I believe put in uh, Roger Williams Baptist and see if that will come up on Wikipedia. And, And this brother that I'm thinking of right here, actually between Became a go between between the Native Americans and the Puritans because he felt bad for them and how they were being treated, but he had no power to stop them. And here you'll have all these people saying, white ain't right, look at you, you're white, you're not right, having no idea that there's been white Christians in the time of the colonial time standing for truth, as well as African American Christians working together with them. Can I hear an amen? They, they called Moses, uh, uh, Harriet Tubman, Moses Tubman. Yeah, it was Roger Willem. Look at this. They named a university after him. You got to look at this. He was once a Puritan, but he left the Puritans, and then he got kicked out of Salem as well, And remember, I taught you that at the Salem witch trials. They not only burned witches, they burned a pastor. You remember I taught you that? Because they burned anybody that did not agree with them. They burned him. They tortured him. And this was a former man of that. He gets kicked out of Salem, and he establishes a society. But you hear nobody talking about this. They get you to think that every Christian was a conquistador. Every Christian was was owning a slave. Every Christian was oppressing people. Study out his history. Study out what he believed. Understand that there's been people all throughout the ages believing this. So it's a false doctrine to teach um, racism. It's a false doctrine to teach white nationalism. It's a false doctrine to think you can own another person. It's a false doctrine to teach all the things that we've been hearing about in our culture now to be homosexual or to, uh, you know, to, to tear apart the family order and think someone can become a transgender. Can I hear an amen to this? Now, if people look back on our culture, they may not find me just like I didn't find this man until I was 48. Or uh, 46 starting soon to be 47. I guess I'm giving myself an extra year. But everybody track with me right here. You know how they say in those memes, I was this year's old or this year's old when I realized this, you know. And it's like, man, I was 46 years old when I realized that there were people here saying the same thing I'm saying right now. They just always weren't the majority. But remember, their point of view eventually won, which caused, just talking about America here, which caused the, the, the Civil War because they converted the rest. By the time you get to the Civil War, I always say it like this because I want to put the seriousness in you. By the time you get to the Civil War, one dude's looking at another dude saying, if you don't let this man go, Kinte go, I'm going to put a bowling ball in your chest. That's what a cannon is. So you all see the cannon? How many like to be shot with one? Well, that's what they began to do to each other. And it was cousin, brother against brother, because they believed it so much, like, we're done with this. We're not doing this anymore. So you may say there was injustices and things in the church. Absolutely. But it was the church that went to war with the other side to conquer them to give us freedom. Can I hear an amen to that? Amazing Grace as well. William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce. Put in his name up there. William Wilberforce also was an abolitionist during the time of the slave trade and fought against it and said, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. And so oftentimes even people will point to the Protestants and say, well, you Christians, you guys have been bad from the Roman Catholics to the Protestants. You've all done this. And there's, tr- there's truth in that. And the Bible even says, for the time will come when people will not want to listen to sound doctrine. How many know if you're a slave owner, you don't want to hear the doctrine of freedom because you're getting free labor? That's, your itching ear wants to hear you can own this person. How many understand that? And how many know slavery didn't just exist among white people and people of color? It existed among people of color with white people. How many know they enslaved as well? And how many know people of color enslaved other people of color? And how many know that's going on today? There's sex trafficking and slavery all through northern Africa, all through uh, the Middle East and in Southeast Asia right now, as well as those places I mentioned in Russia, in Ukraine and other places are some of the hotbeds for sexual um, uh, trading as well, sexual uh, exploitation. So it's happening all over. But notice it was Christians like this, William Wilberforce, that helped put an end to it that led to wars, that led to cultures taking a stand in the name of Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Okay, now let me get to the last part of this message. I'm having a good time. How many are glad you're here? Amen. I got a couple of scriptures. Thank you for your participation today. Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. This is where I want to go because I have to always clear the road before we go on this journey because when I talk about the church and authority and listening to your leaders, uh, so many people get this idea, well, the church has made mistakes and it's been wrong in the past, so I don't have to listen to it now. That's not true. If you have not found a good church to be a part of, that needs to be one of your first responsibilities as a Christian. Find a good church. Find people you trust because that two or three gathering together in the name of the Lord, that comes with power. That comes with authority. We're supposed to trust one another and be in relationship with one another. And notice how it says it here, Ephesians 3, 7, Paul talking. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So he says, man, I was graced with the gift of the gospel. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So, though he's considering himself humble to everybody else, he knows he's got a job to do. What is his job? To make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So, he's got the gospel, he considers himself humble. But now he's got to make plain. Everybody say, make it plain. Come on, say, make it plain, preacher. Amen. Amen. Make it plain. That's his job. But what is it? This mystery, this administration, the working out of this mystery. And what is this mystery? Verse 10. His intent was that now through the what? Through the government? Through the educational system? Through the police? No, one more time. Through the what? The church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Because if the devil can understand it, your neighbor can understand it. If you can get the enemy of the spiritual realm, who is our real enemy, if you can get them to submit to this, then the ones they are influencing will submit to this. Because the Bible says further in Ephesians, this is Ephesians chapter 3, says further in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So our first problem is not just with gangs and violence and those doing the, you know, the transgender movement and so forth. Our battle is not first with their flesh. Our battle is with the demons influencing them. So if we can bind and rebuke the demons and the hordes of hell and pray against them, then through the power of the authority of the keys that Peter has, we can loose the blessings of God and the windows of heaven will open up. Come on, somebody. That's the Bible. Isn't that where we started? And I give you the keys of the kingdom? And what you bind and loose will be bound and loose. And then later on in Matthew 18, he says it to the same ones. When you gather together, I'm there. When you're asking things, I'm answering them. When you're binding, I'm binding. When you're loosing, I'm loosing. It starts right here in the church. And so that manifold wisdom comes out according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask, therefore, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. And remember, he's getting persecuted all in that Roman Empire at that time. Now, quickly, go with me to First Timothy three fourteen through 15, and then I'm going to tie those scriptures together with a chart. And by God's grace, we're going to leave out here in power to whoop the devil and establish the kingdom. Amen? 1 Timothy 3.14, same author, Paul, but he says this a little bit of a different of a way. In, in, In the other passage in Ephesians, he says it's his job to make plain the administration that the wisdom of God has now revealed to the demons in hell and all the principalities that the church is the pillar of the truth or that rather that the church is the uh, is the household of faith that we're supposed to have and now he's going to re- he's going to tell us that the church is the pillar of the truth can i hear an amen Amen. So notice this right here that the administration of God's wisdom comes through the church in Ephesians 3. And in 1 Timothy 3, we see the pillar of truth. Look at it here. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Somebody say God's house. Amen. This is God's house, which is what? The church. Which God's house is what? What is it called? Come on, help me preach. God's house is called the church, thank you, of the living God. And what is an attribute of that church? The pillar and the foundation of the truth. Okay, so just scroll up in Ephesians. Everybody see this. We're learning the attributes right here, okay? The church, according to Ephesians, is the place where God's wisdom is. Highlight that, please, right there. Highlight in verse 10, thank you. The manifold wisdom of God is in the church. One more time. Where's the manifold wisdom of God? Where's it at? In the church. Point to where the church is. It's us, not the building. It's not the brick, is it? It's not the steeple. It's the people. Where the two or three are gathered together. Where is the wisdom of God? Somebody say it. The church. Okay. Now go on down, please, to Timothy. Where is the foundation of all truth according to Paul? Where is it at? In the where? The church, look at it, highlight it. The church is the pillar and the foundation of all truth. Look at it. Now, sometimes people might want to mock us and go, well, uh, explain to me from the church the physics of the universe. Explain to me from the church the technology of Wi-Fi or my phone. Hold on. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying because it's the foundation that it contains every single detail. But what we are saying is without the foundation of the church, without the truth that it has, you cannot get to a phone. How many have seen me do this before, show you that you can't get to a phone without the truth of God? Okay, I'm going to do it for you right now. How about this? What is this phone made out of? Stuff, right? Let's just say stuff. Okay, where did that stuff come from? How many know where I'm going now? Okay, it's pretty easy, isn't it? Where would that stuff come from? Okay, from the earth? Okay, where would the earth come from? And let's just go to what they're going to say, the Big Bang. Okay, now what do we ask them? Who banged it and what bang then, dude? You're a genius. Let's, let's keep going, man. You, think, you seem to be so smart. You put your faith in science like you're on Sesame Street. And Sesame Street has words that talk, so you believe in this thing called science, S-C-I-E-N-C-E. Now tell me where that came from. Well, I don't know. Yeah, that's right you don't know. Because now you've just run into your ignorance. You've just run into stupidity, which is now what you have to either say one of two things. One of two things, the law of non-contradiction. A cannot be B at the same time it's A. This is very simple now. Either everything you see now, matter, space, and time, came from God or it came from nothing. That's it. Now, does nothing create anything? No, because nothing don't have a thing to give. It's no thing. Can I hear an amen to that? So nothing has nothing to give. But God has something to give. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Fast forward six thousand years, Eli. i mean, uh, Steve Jobs—boom! There you got your phone. Next question. Now, sometimes people say, "Well, that's just God of the gaps. You're just filling in God where we don't know something." No, I'm telling you, God is the foundation. We take the time to fill in the gaps. That's why Sir Isaac Newton, who discovered gravity, wrote more about the Bible than he did about gravity because he understood that it was God who put those laws in place. We don't make up the laws of gravity. We discover them. Get to the top of this building and jump off and say, I don't believe in gravity, and see that it still believes in you. It still believes in you. You could say you don't believe in a whole bunch of stuff, but it's still here. Amen? And so when we say that the church is the pillar of this truth, the church is the one handing the scriptures down from one generation to the other so that you don't get, you know, duped into believing that you can come from the goo to the zoo to you without God. Even if you want to believe in evolution, you better put God in there because that's even a greater miracle that you came from, you know, George the monkey. I, I, I think it's more simpler. to believe God just said, boom, let it be done. But you now want to believe over a million, billions of years, you still better put God in there because I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, okay? I don't have enough faith to believe this thing happened by itself. But I take serious the creation order. I am a new uh, uh, young creationist, young earth creationist. But I'm just telling you, if you just bring them back to everything that they're trying to say, they don't have a foundation. And do, and do the same thing. Don't, don't just keep them in science. Do the same thing with morality. Ask them. Do you think raping a child is wrong? Yes. Tell me why it's wrong. Because my mama told me it's wrong. Why did your mama tell you it's wrong? Well, because her mama told her it was wrong. Okay, well, then why did all the mamas say it was wrong? You believe you came from the gooth of the zoo to you? Tell me in the zoo where mamas are talking about it's wrong to rape children. I'm telling you, man, you get caught in these uh, algorithms of uh, YouTube and and Instagram, and sometimes you wonder, how did I get here? But then you got to go back to that first thing you liked or looked at. So I must have watched one of these videos where, uh, you know, a lion was eating an alligator or something, you know, must have started there. Because then I just started watching video after video of these animals eating each other, the weirdest animals eating the other weirdest animals. I mean, I'm telling you, how many have ever seen those kinds of things? Then I've seen, I saw a bird eat its own young bird breaking. Its neck and then heat it. I'm watching a lion eat another baby lion. I'm watching a lion eat another lion. I don't see them having any problems. I see them having sex whenever they want to. It's not even considered rape. I see them killing and eating whatever they want to. How many have ever seen when those lions eat something while it's still alive? I watched a lion, and I say this with all respect because I don't want to, you know, just be shocking, but I watched a lion start with the genitals. I'm telling you, you be careful when you Google that. I don't know what you'll find. But it started with the genitals, and then there's people underneath there going, oh, yeah, they're a delicacy. They like the, they like the uh, whatever this bowl is. They like the genitals, so they're eating the genitals. The thing's still moving. Oh, but I have a problem with evil, going back to their morals. Okay, tell me why. Because now we've just reached a place where you say you came from the goo, to this zoo to you and you say you have a problem with morals. I just backed you up about a million years in your timeline. You know that little timeline where they have them all hunched over and as animals and then they stand up like that. I like the other time that has this timeline it has us standing and then going to our knees at the cross. Amen. We're not coming up off of our knees thinking we're smarter and trying to be God. No, we need to come to, to Jesus and humble ourselves to the cross. Amen. But I say to them, well, we, we just went back a million years in your timeline, and everything goes, rape, incest, cannibalism, whoops, that didn't work, did it? But now what do we do? We bring them back to the beginning of the Bible. God said that you, if you eat of this, you shall surely die. And then God said to Cain, you shall not kill a man because sin is crouching at your door. Can I hear an amen? And then God said to Noah, you don't do this, and then you don't do that. And then God said, somebody say, God said. See, God said it, that settles it, it's over, amen? Now, if you, if you say, well, I don't, I don't believe in God, well, then you just have to be like all the other uh, true atheists, the true people who understand say, now there's no morality, so then you have nothing to complain about. The true atheists that I study that take this serious, like Alex Rosenberg, like Richard Dawkins and all that, they say, hey, God, stop arguing with the Christian about morality because one thing they have right, if there's no God, there's no moral code, just get over it. You have nothing to complain about anymore. And then at the end of Alex Rosenberg's book, he said, if you can't take that world, take more Prozac and more drugs to numb the pain. That's literally, and I've showed it, and I hear some amens from Daryl there. He's seen me read that that last chapter of the atheist Guide to Reality, where the atheist now is just talking to the rest of them. Just how we would talk here, just being honest, saying, hey, you can't argue now with Christians about morals. There is no morals in an atheist worldview. There are none. And if you can't deal with it, take more drugs to calm your nerves until you turn back to dust. That's that's a Ph.D. in their philosophy. That's the highest of them. Can I hear an amen? That's, That's what they turn into. And that's why the Bible says, the fool says in their heart there's no God. That doesn't mean I want to challenge Dr. Alex Rosenberg to a, to a, a, you know, to a test right now, to a, you know, one of those intelligent men. He'll probably whoop me up and down. But that's not the, what the Bible says when it says they're a fool. What it's talking about, they have no foundation. They don't know that what they're doing is sitting on the lap of God to try to slap Him in the face. You're using God's morals trying to come against God. That's rebellion. If you don't have a God, you have no morals to stand on, no God to even slap. Why are you wasting your time? Now, brothers and sisters, you have to look at this. The church is the pillar. Now, ask yourself this. How are the pillars of our church in America doing, the society, our church right now? How are the pillars? You look at churches across our culture right now, and you see that they are falling apart. That's where I want to leave you in this sermon series is you better look back at your foundation. Because, brothers and sisters, the church doesn't fall apart just because the Church of England did this, and this church over here did that, and this church over here that was ordained homosexuals is now a youth theater production program. No, it doesn't just happen because of that one pastor, the leader that's there. No, it's because people are no longer listening to the doctrines of God. They're the ones that are coming with their ears wanting to be tickled. So think about this. The congregation doesn't want to hear the word of God anymore, so the preacher doesn't preach it anymore. And then they both lose that congregation as the congregation dies. And right now you can see all throughout Europe that had Christianity a lot earlier than we did, they are all losing their foundation of religion. And now there are more churches closing over there than opening, and they're becoming skate parks, they're becoming clubs. Put up in their uh, skate park church. They build these, these beautiful cathedrals. They now put skate parks in. All throughout Europe, and it's even happening in America right now. Before you Google it, just do it for yourself because I don't know what will come up. Please and thank you. And then I want you to see, brothers and sisters, that there's wisdom in the church. There's wisdom. If you think to yourself that Joe is equal to Dr. Phil or my Bible study leader is just like my school counselor, you have missed the entire purpose of the church and the point of the anointing. I'm not saying you're supposed to worship us, worship us or say that somehow we're greater than you. No, no, not at all. But you are to take serious the wisdom of God coming from the leaders who study the Word of God. I'm to take it serious. I'm not just to say, well, I'm a pastor now. I can do whatever I want. I know the Bible. No, I'm supposed to listen to the wisdom that comes from the church. Because doesn't the Bible say where two or three are gathered together? There he is. How do, how do I not know God could be speaking to you right now? I don't know that. And I reject that, and I reject the word of God about my leaders. Yeah, look at this. I mean, it's beautiful what they do here, right? Like, it's artistic, you know, make it a little bit bigger so everybody can see. But how many know that's a disgrace to the Christian movement? How many know that's a disgrace? You know they had to put that rainbow flag all over the place, didn't they? I still believe in the rainbow, but not for the reasons they do. <laughs> Judgment. Hello. Hello. But that's what's happened to our world. Look at that. Century-old church becomes a colorful church skate park. There are now more Wiccans in the United States than there are Presbyterians, and that used to be a classic denomination from Scotland the Presbyterians. There are millions now of people turning away from God every single day, and that's all they think about the church. Why? Because the people who used to be under the steeple weren't following this anymore. You think you're doing your neighbor a friend? Uh, your friend a neighbor? Help me, Jesus. I am on some medication, but I didn't know I was that high. Help me, Jesus. You think you're doing your neighbor a favor? Thank you, my brother. <laughs> I had to look at him. You, I helped you one time. Now you help me. I'm telling you, man. I'm going to be 70 years old, 80 years old. You'll be wheeling me up there, help me. I got to watch now because my, my parents are 80 years old. and They don't need a wheelchair, but okay. You can do your, you think you're doing your neighbor a, a favor by saying, well, I don't want to tell them about sin. I don't want to tell them about this. That's what you're going to lead them down to is a church that has no power. If we'd start looking just like the culture, the culture takes us over every single time. And every nation. Whenever the church starts looking like the culture, the culture just takes it over. You want to know how the, the people started owning slaves? Because slaves were being traded by the Muslims all over. It was a popular thing in that culture. And then the church wanted to be like the Muslims, and they just got taken over by that idea. I'm telling you, do your, do your research. Who was trading first in Africa? It was not the Christians. It was the Muslims. And the Christians started working with the Muslims going, oh, okay, I guess we got to keep up with you now. Because remember, they had just been in wars against each other. So they needed to build their empires. And they saw one building their empire with conquering, with slavery. And so the Christians started borrowing the idea of conquistadors and this mindset. We're not a jihad religion. Jesus said those who live by the sword die by the sword. We are only supposed to fight in defense. Jihad fights also in offense. If I have time during our In Time series, I'll teach you a little about Islam. It is not the same as the Old Testament view of war. It is a unique form of conquering, in the name of their God, all of the nations. And they believe that the end times will not come until trees cry out and say, there's a Jew behind me, kill me, look it up. It's taught by their hadiths, by their prophet, their false prophet. But notice this, whenever the culture seeps into the church, the church loses. I talked to a woman once, she was the mother of one of our members that came here, and she was a part of the Methodist church that was ordaining homosexuals, and she says, how is Metro Praise growing while we're dying, and yet you guys are so offensive, (laughs) you know, because she hears me talk about sin. And now they've lost that church, and I think that church is becoming something else, just like this one right here, that they had to, the church had to sell it, and now the church is becoming a condo, I believe. I, I wish this brother was here. He would tell me what it is. But I want you to think about this. She kind of caught it, didn't she? She caught it, which is when we started compromising, we started dying. But you guys who are preaching the truth, you're growing. Why is that? Because the church was always meant to be countercultural. Our wisdom is not supposed to look like Dr. Phil's. Our approach to how we give you things is not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to teach you to fear God. We're supposed to teach you to love your neighbor as yourself, not just to love your four and no more. We're supposed to teach you that all nationalities come under the reign of the king and the kingdom of God. Amen? I am a kingdom citizen before I'm an American citizen, before I'm Polish and Italian. We teach the truth of God in that way. Now, let's put up the chart in closing. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Amen. It's on the desktop if it hasn't updated there yet. Uh, no, it's on the desktop right now. Thank you. I want you to think about this as we get ready to close out. And Daryl, would you come, please? Because this is where it's going to hit close to home. Because many of you are amen and me. Thank you. When I'm saying we need to stand against Roman Catholicism and the changes that it brought. Yes. And by the way, think about how Roman Catholicism just merged right into Nazism, merged right into uh, uh, um, Stalinism, the Orthodox did, and uh, the Catholic Church right into Mussolini. Mussolini was from Italy in the axis of evil. Does anybody remember that? Anybody study that? Come on. How did, how did a Catholic nation have a dictator like Mussolini? Because there was some collaboration. There's, there's now some debate over how much they collaborate together, but come on. You can't take over an entire nation that you claim is Catholic as a dictator without having some agreement. That's why I say the same thing happened with the Germans. They, do you know that the Germans celebrated Christmas while they were putting Jews in torture chambers? Do you know that they taught, they had a slave Bible for the people in American South that took out the parts they didn't like? So, how many know Christianity's done some wicked things when they weren't really Christian? Okay, so, but I want you to hear this. I want you, to please, brothers and sisters, hear this today. You can now not just say, this is something those organizations deal with. No, because I see, it, I see it being dealt with right here in this church. And how I see it being dealt with is that you don't live right. And you make excuses. And you think it's okay because you know what? You still believe in the doctrines that we teach, but you're not living them. And so I want to teach you just a few things right here that will keep your mind right, keep it holy, and keep it humble. Because if you're not careful, what you think is bad about others will start to come into your life. If I'm not careful, this applies to me, and I start compromising, I could be the kind of pastor that I have just rebuked here. What prevents me from having an affair? What prevents me from becoming addicted to pornography? Only the Lord. But if I walk away from Jesus, if I don't keep my mind right, if I don't keep a holy and humble mindset, then I can be distracted. Because remember, what's the warning? People's itching ears will want to hear stuff. Well, what do you think my itching ears want to hear? Well, I could build a big church, get out of a storefront, do a lot of good work for people in the community if I stop preaching against homosexuality, if I stop talking about a literal hell, if I stop saying Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. That's why you listen to a lot of those mega messes. I mean, mega churches. You can hardly ever remember last time they mentioned hell. Especially here in our city. When do these churches mention hell? I mean, I listen to them all the time. I do, and I don't mean to be rude to them. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But all their messages are like, you know what? We're coming into a Thanksgiving season. We're going to have four-week sermon series on how to be thankful. You don't hear at the end of that. If you're not thankful, you're going to hell. But that's the truth. How many know spoiled brats go to hell? If you're not thanking God for the breath that you breathe, one day you lose it. How many know that the ungrateful go to hell? If you have not thanked him and lived for him, you're punished. But you don't hear that at the end of the sermon series. And then we got Jesus, the greatest gift, hallelujah, coming up. Everybody's going to be auditioning to be Jesus in the play, you know. I want my baby to start off the baby Jesus, and I want Mary here. And then, you know, we got to show Jesus when he gets grown, you know, give him a little picture of Jesus. You know, they're going to put together this whole play, and. You know, the bad boy of the church is probably going to be Judas and be like, yeah, you kind, of, you kind of are like a Judas. That's why we think you're good. And there's going to be this whole little play of it. But hold on. Do you think at the end of the play they're going to say, he did this so that you would not perish? Most people don't even get that. It's in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish. You will go to hell unless you receive this baby as your king. Amen. You better bow to him before he comes back and conquers you. But you don't, you don't hear anybody. I'm just being honest. So many of these churches, why? Because they don't want people to hear it. Because they know if they hear it, then they're going to have to deal with all of the problems that come from it. One of my friends, he was starting a church and he was talking to me and he was like, Joe, man, I don't know how you talk like the way you do, man. I'm, our people get offended so easy. I, I I feel that I'm better like talking generally about the things of God. And then in one-on-one discipleship, I talk to them about things. I said, Well, then how are they ever gonna know as a congregation? This is how we roll. You just always want to on the side deal with it. In a church like that, most people aren't even gonna tell you what they're dealing with. They have no conviction. I was in a church like that, and there was pornography rampant. There was false doctrine rampant. Nobody was being held accountable because nobody had no fear of God. The preacher was never preaching on it. It wasn't until I got into their lives that we started doing weddings after service because couples that had been a part of that church for years got convicted the first couple of months I started preaching there. I'm being honest with you. This one brother came up to me and said, man, I've been going to this church for years. I didn't know I was going to hell because I was living with my girlfriend. I said, yeah, but the Bible says no fornicator shall inherit the kingdom of God. So he said, pastor, I got to get married then. I said, okay, we'll set it up next week. And next week he got married. Come on, somebody. But he never knew that. How would the pastor even have known that? Well, I'm going to talk to him individually. No, you won't. You're lying. They say that all. Well, I'm I'm going to deal with it. No, you don't. That guy was there for years. I was the new youth pastor. And guys, are people are coming up getting saved, getting sanctified, set free. So this is what it takes. Number one, by God's grace, you'll never hide your sin from God or your trusted friends and leaders. Somebody say that's the truth. See, that's the church. Stop hiding sin. Stop acting like sin's okay. It's not Okay. Find an accountability partner. The Bible says confess your sins one to another. We're not talking about saints here that are in heaven. We're talking about to each other so they can pray for you. Isn't it, didn't it say where two or three are gathered together? There is Jesus so you are accountable. James chapter 5, verse 16 says that confession is to be done one to another, not to a priest in a dark closet, but to your brother or sister that you trust. Why? Well, I just said I'm sorry before God. You're not right before men then. You might be right before God, but you're not right before men. Men need to know who you are. Be a person of integrity. Stop this stuff that says, I just keep my relationship between me and God. That is not what Jesus commanded. Jesus commanded, let your light shine like a city on a hill that does not need to be hidden. I don't have any problem you asking me, when was the last time I sinned? What did I have to confess? How am I dealing with it? Why? Because that's honest. That's living truthful. Last time I had to confess sin was anger being upset with my wife. There you go, okay? But I'm learning to be patient more and more every day of my life. I'm not giving in to it. The Bible says that this is a part of the church. Number two, by God's grace, I will trust the wounds of my trusted friends and leaders. Whenever you find yourself in tough conversations with leaders, that's when you need to be the least sensitive you have ever been. Don't be going through a divorce with sensitivity. Don't be going through a problem in your marriage or your family with sensitivity. When you come to see us, you should be like the one that's training those pit bulls. You should be like the Michelin man covered in every possible thing, saying, I'm not going to get offended over this counseling because I know that I'm in need of wisdom. And if the church is where I get my wisdom from, I'm going to put on some just just humility, wrap it around me, and be the most humble person I can possibly be. Because my pastors and leaders are there to give me what I need. And the Bible says the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but the wounds of a friend can be trusted. You can trust when someone loves. I'm not talking about them using and abusing you. You know I've said that so many times here. We do not promote that. We will kick people out because if leaders misuse their authority. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about in the church, not Father Tom doing inappropriate things or pastor so-and-so or bishop. I'm talking about in the church when you have godly leaders. Trust the wounds of your trusted leaders and friends. Trust them in the church because that's how we carry on, not through offense. We carry on through the teachings of Jesus. Number three, by God's grace, I will seek out and receive counsel about my weaknesses and temptations. You will not wait for us to be Madam Chloe and to get a revelation. Well, I got a revelation. You were looking at something you shouldn't have last night, or you were doing, no, no. You come to your leader. You come to the church, you come to the Bible study ready. I gotta confess this to you all. I'm not talking you go into the gory detail and then I went to OnlyFans and then I went to bighooters.com and then, I, no, no. I'm saying you come to the brothers and sisters and you say, I just gotta confess this week. I have struggled with lust, but I need prayer. I need someone to speak the word because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somebody speak it over me today. Correct, rebuke me, instruct me. Build my life back up. I'm here to humble myself because there's a church for me. Number four, by God's grace, I will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what I do in my free time. When you are not here and you're not busy at your job, especially on your job as well, though. but when you're in your free time, you better be asking Jesus, what should I be doing? Because you represent the church in this culture. How do I act in traffic? How do I talk to the doctors? How do I talk to the nurse that was helping me that didn't know one thing about what she was saying, but she was spouting off a lot of it? I had to wait for the physician to come and correct everything she said because my one Google search outdid everything she knew about a separated attendant. I'm serious. I talked to the baker's mom. She's been 30 years. She's like, oh, I knew way more than that. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know why. If they don't know it, do they say it? Just say, I don't know. We're waiting. But everything she said was wrong. And then the physician had to correct her. Be humble on your job. Be teachable on your job. And then in your free time, honor the Lord because people are watching you. If you're a parent, your children are watching you. My children caught one of, uh, one of my family members at my house looking at inappropriate pictures over Thanksgiving. At the pastor's house. Yep, on the phone. My little baby had to come, come to her mama and say, I saw so-and-so looking at a picture of a girl in bikini. And then zoom in on her butt and her G-string. At the pastor's house. He should be happy I'll let him back in, but he's a sinner. He doesn't know any better, but we're deciding on how to handle that. Are you listening? I'm trying to be friends with sinners to transform them, not to to, to conform to them. I want to see them transformed, not conformed. Amen. Amen. Next one. By God's grace, I will follow all the commands of God pertaining to my sexuality. Don't make excuses to get out of line in your sexuality. Live for God. If I see one problem in the church, it's the sexual issue. It's it's rampant. Pulpit to the pew. Everybody got to live right. And we can be leaders. Most disqualifying thing I see with leaders is, is sin. That's why I always tell you I haven't looked at pornography since 96 because if I can do it, you could do it. If I've been faithful to my wife for 18 years, you can do it. If I was a born-again virgin for 10 years, you can do it. Amen? Number six, by God's grace, I'll be honest concerning my spiritual growth and remain faithful to prayer, worship, God's word, charitable service, discipleship, and evangelism. All of that should be on your list every day. How am I going to win a soul today? How can I talk about Jesus? How can I go to my Bible study? When is that a priority? Sometimes I hear people say, "Well, I'm taking a break from all that stuff." You don't take a break from Jesus. Maybe you do too much, I get that, but every day should be full of prayer and worship. Every day should be full of God's word. Every day you should look at how to help others. Every day you should be getting to become stronger in your faith. Listen to somebody's sermon instead of just, you know, The Office podcast that I found. You know, they talk about every episode of The Office. Okay, I like that, but I better make sure I listen to the word before I listen to The Office. Can I hear an amen? And then lastly, by God's grace, I will not allow my failures, disappointments, tests, trials, victories, blessings to become a hindrance in fulfilling my God-given call. So that means you're not going to get distracted. Things are bad, you're still going hard for God. Things are good, you're still going hard for God. That's how we build the church. That's how the gates of hell won't prevail. That's how we say to the devil, hey, come a little bit closer. No, no, just a little bit closer. No, just a little bit closer. Now you got that? You hear me now? I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you for my family. I'm coming after you for my generation. I'm taking everything you took from me, you lying devil. Do you hear me? And not only am I taking back what you stole, I'm going to go out there and get seven times what you took from me. I lost one sister, but I'm getting ten more in her place. I lost a brother, but I'm getting ten more. You understand? You do war against the devil. And when you stand to him like this, that's when the devil's afraid of you. The devil's not afraid of a backslidden Christian who's living in sin that he got wrapped around his pinky. But when you come to the devil with authority on the word of God, with a life that's been transformed and a mindset on Christ, you can rebuke him and put him in his place. And that's what's what will change our culture. That's what will change our family. And that church, should the Lord Terry, will be handed down from one generation to the next. Can I hear an amen as we stand to our feet? Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. Come on, we can do better than that.